What is up, guys? It is Stu. It is the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And in case you didn't hear, earlier this month, we announced that Urban Movement is releasing its license model. The brand that I created in Charlotte, North Carolina, that we've been so successful at wedging ourselves within the competition of the white space between the cardio heavy, you know, orange theories of the world and F45s and the CrossFit like models, the more barbell based models, the community driven models. Urban movement has found its amazing stride right in that white space. And we want to align ourselves with other owners who want to help us grow that brand in their city. We are going to be giving you everything we had created for the franchise model, which was going to cost you $250,000, but then 2020 showed up and we had to pivot. So we're practically giving it away at a license model price of $12,000 a year, $1,000 a month. That price will go up. So if you want to be in the first generation, I highly recommend submitting your inform information sooner than later. But guys, you're going to get the strictest geographical protection in the industry. Nobody else does this. You will get a license and nobody within your city limits can also open up a license. You will have full control of your city in bringing urban movement to that city. And you're finally going to have a true unique you're going to have something that doesn't look like CrossFit, doesn't look like berries. It has its own flavor and style. Anyone who walks in will instantly recognize, I haven't seen this before. That's what we've been getting here in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's what's made us so successful. And now I want to expand that success to other micro gym owners and operators. You're also not going to have to worry about any more remote workouts. We will do all the workouts for you. Movement Anywhere is a amazing feature-packed, full HD quality workout videos that surround and encompass the Urban Movement brand. And it's a perfect complement to the in-person experiences as we navigate through these crazy times. You're going to get our entire marketing and branding suite. So we have the photos, the videos, the copy. If you want Facebook ads, we'll show you which ones we've run in the past, which ones will work for you. And you're going to get full business support. My two GMs that have grown Urban Movement from day one with me. I mean, they literally have had their DNA all over the creation of this brand. We'll be working side by side with our licensees to make sure they have a successful launch. Guys, we're super excited about it. If you want to submit your interest, go to the link in my Instagram bio, put it in there, and then we'll be contacting you with the further interview and application process. Remember, only one per city, guys. One license per city. Now, if you have that license, you can open up as many as you want, but we are not going ahead and crushing this thing. We're probably going to do between five and 10 in the first year and then create second generations the next year. So I'm super excited. I'm, I'm done talking about it. Let's get into the podcast. Thank you for listening. See you soon. What is up, guys? It is Stu, and it is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And I've got Ben Davis on the show. Ben Davis is the founder of Noble Clay, the only that I know of, to my knowledge, the only 501c3 micro gym and I, I asked him to come on the show today because number one um, a micro gym not for profit is it's the uh the antithesis of everything I typically deal with in my line of work in talking with gym owners who are trying to derive profit out of it. And as I started going down your rabbit hole, Ben, I, I found, you know, I saw you, you in, uh, is early on 28, 2008, you and Kyle uh, Maynard, you guys opened up No Excuses Athletics. And I actually know his sister. Mm -hmm. His sister was a member of my gym in Charlotte, North Carolina for, for a few years. And I, I went down oh, this right. rabbit hole and I was like, this is a very interesting story. I love the concept of giving fitness in an inequality world and being able to deliver it. Can you just talk to me a little bit about 
what kickstarted the mission because making money is great. And we all, all the entrepreneurs that own micro gyms have this internal mission. We're like, I want to help people. Well, right. in my opinion, you yeah. kind of were like, uh, I'm going to really help people. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to one up that, that personal mission. Talk to me about the, this, why you created a nonprofit for a gym. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I'm, before I start, I'm curious which which Kyle's got three sisters. Who is who is at your gym? It's a great. I forget. I remember she moved to San Diego, and I'm drawing a blank on her. Blonde girl, Mitty, Mackenzie. McKinsey. Yeah, that's it. Mackenzie. Yes. Yeah, Mackenzie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's the uh, she's the youngest. There's Amber, Lindsay, and then Mackenzie. Lindsay did, I think, maybe moved out to California too with with Kyle when he moved. Okay. Out yeah. There. But anyway, small world, man. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm friends with. Uh, the guys that started CrossFit Eternal out there in Charlotte. Oh, too. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, is that Josh, how you got Josh into and Yeah, is that how you got brought into the Iron Tribe world? We'll talk about that later, but Yeah, no, but I but I met them in the in the Iron Tribe world. Okay. And Kelsey's actually a part of, you know, why Noble Clay is here in its current form. Okay. Uh, she was a part of part of it. She's actually doing some some uh, you know, fitness ministry work there in Charlotte uh, as well. So Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer, answer your question, I, uh, you know, I, I was, a, I was an owner, uh, with, uh, with Kyle, I was really a manager and we kind of had a partnership agreement, um, just as friends to, to build this thing out. We were new in it, um, no way from 08 to 2014 running a CrossFit gym. Um, I had a friend of mine, Blake Schubert, um, come to me, he was doing some work in Uganda. Um, and he came to me and said, Ben, look, man, there's this village there. It's about to go, it's about to go under, meaning there's, you know, kids are going to get kidnapped. Um, some rough stuff's happening. We got to build this school and then put this fence around the soccer field to help sustain this village. Can we raise some money and do it? And uh, he, he approached me in 2011 um, to put on what we, what we have called Wad for a Cause. And Wad for a Cause was a, an event, a fitness event where, um, we had some top athletes around Georgia uh, in CrossFit come, and we all competed and raised about you know a little over five grand for him to go over there and build this school and put a fence around Uganda. And so, in uh, that the reason why that really struck a, a, a heartstring with me is you know I, I got to share my personal stories. You know, right before we started No Excuses CrossFit, I found myself on a bridge of suicide, ready to take my life. You know, for me life and I won't go into my whole life story, but it was, you know, a lot of despair, a lot of abandonment, a lot of problems going on in deep inside of my soul and in my emotional being, my mental well being. And I just was like fed up with it and I just was gonna end it. Um this was actually back, Ben, were you as religious back then when you were going through the the personal suicide stuff? I know you had uh, you were a legit athlete in college. I know there was a co- there was an injury in college that kind of spiraled yeah. this whole thing. It did. Yeah. No, I was a heathen. Man. I, I mean, I worshiped sport. I worshiped, you know, I was a worshipful being like we all are. I just didn't worship God. I didn't, you know, uh, to me, it was just, I was a secular thinker. I was, you know, a, you know, I was my, my whole focus was soccer, take sports, get it, you know, get to the Olympic development level, play in the Olympics, play in the world cup, go and make a lot of money, you know, and all the prestige and fame and all that, that, that can come with that was my focus, you know, for the most part. Uh, injury obviously ended that really abruptly. And so because I made that my identity, I pretty much, you know, fell apart in in pieces. I didn't have a really, I didn't come from a very strong family either, a very broken family. You know, mom was left when I was five years old. She was, you know, sexually molested at at 12 years old and impregnated by her own uncle. And like, 
has, you know, bipolar and schizophrenia to this day because of, I mean, talk about evil that are just atrocities happened in my family. This is the family I was, you know, it's the way I came in the world dealing with this stuff, not knowing it at the time as a young, you know, child or man, but having a lot of issue as a result of that. And, and then somebody shared uh, the gospel with me of Jesus Christ that I could have faith um, in, in, by God, by grace alone in Christ alone. And then by doing that, I would actually have a, a reconnection with something that my soul was craving for, right? Which was a relationship with God himself. And so um, someone shared that gospel, the gospel with me and I knew I needed, uh, I needed something. I need a savior. I needed something to, to find, to have fulfillment. And, and I trusted in that uh, the night I was about to get, take my life in Dahlonega, Georgia. I just, you know, I was on this bridge literally about to jump out and I felt this kind of overwhelming peace just come out of this okayness is the way I can express it. And I just, I knew that like this fear started melting away. All this stuff just started happening. And I stepped down for breath. Okay, look, God, if you are who you say you are, I need you to show me. And I, I, I don't know who you are, how to follow you, any of that. But I'm willing if you, you know, if you can help me get out of this state. It's, and that's and I experienced that, his peace. Yeah, I experienced a peace that surpassed my understanding. It, it surpassed me being able to explain it to people. But it was a piece that uh, was sure. Uh, and man, you know, I started no excuse. Me and Kyle launched no excuses in December. This happened in November. So December eight, we opened up no excuses. You know, uh, January 9th, I met my wife. Um, you know, all these things. I'm not saying like I all these. I like all of a sudden things started being blessed. But I'm just saying that I was in a different state um, as a result of that. And God did pour on a lot of blessing. And one of those things was giving Blake as a friend to bring this opportunity in Uganda. And so I, I, you know, started reading the Bible. I started learning of God's heart for people, for, for the vulnerable, for all people, regardless of, of who they are. But as a human being, God cares deeply for these souls. And, and so I started, I started, um, you know, caring. Yeah. Uh, I started bringing up this care inside of me. And so, um, and I can only explain that as the Holy Spirit working in me and to, you know, nudge my, my heart and my thinking towards that. Aim. And so to answer your question, why did I start the nonprofit? It was it was born out of that desire to see, you know, people have access to fitness. I saw a mad a major disparity, especially, you know, after I went from new excuses, you know, Kyle and I had some disagreements on on me pursuing this ministry in connection with his brand. And we cordially just respected and loving lovingly, you know, just said, Hey, we're not we're, we're gonna split ways and, and we did and, and that's when I found Iron Tribe. Um and with Iron Tribe, you know, I thought that I could come in and be a franchise owner and, and build up all these franchises. And, you know, I'm still kind of in this worldly thinking of like, hey, I got to have this money and all this like platform to be able to do this like ministry that I want to do in this nonprofit. So I got to have all this like power. Um, and I came into Atlanta thinking that I could do that. And it was just not working out uh, for many reasons that probably we don't have enough time to talk about. But but that lasted about two years. I built two gyms here. We built up, you know, one and then launched a second one in West, West Midtown, Atlanta. These are, these are Iron That's, Tribes you're referring to. These, these are Iron Tribes that I'm referring to. Okay. Yeah. And then in 2017, I just got so uh, frustrated with the model and with me not being able to pursue what I really was desiring to do, which was bring fitness into people that couldn't have access to it. And I just, you know, I went to my wife and just such duress. I said, babe, I've got to, we got to do something about this. And so, um, with some counsel from some, some dudes from Iron Tribe and, and then my wife, we just said, you know, we're going to, we're going to get out, uh, and start. 
And so I got into a park and uh, we lived in a, we lived in a community called Bedford Pines, 750 unit uh, affordable housing area in Atlanta. And me and my wife live there. And, you know, um, what we decided to do is just get out in the park, start knocking on doors and bringing people to start training. We did, we moved that from the, from there into our garage. We had a, uh, 350 square foot garage and we started training people out of there for a couple of years doing some fundraising and now we're you know we launched this location in 2020 um of, you know call, rebranding we were we were you know our, technically our with the state of georgia we're radical fitness ministries incorporated but we um we uh, rebranded to to noble clay because we believe in the juxtaposition of worth and, and dignity uh and yet humility uh, and humbleness, right? We have this nobility inherent in us, um, and but yet we could all use help to be shaped, you know, to, to get help to learn and be shaped for the good that we'd have to do. You know, as I followed some of your, you know, progression in your fitness career, I mean, there's a lot of people that have impacted your life and helped you, right? You're doing that now for others with, you know, the W2F the podcast and, and all your offerings and business, all of that. Right. It takes that to help other people thrive and grow. So we're clay in that way. Yeah. Right? No, so that's, that, I, yeah, I get that's the, the narrative of the name. I think it's clever. Did you now? I, I there was a lot there. I uh, I want yeah, to rewind, sorry, no, to... dude. You're doing good. You're doing good. Uh, listen, I want to rewind just a hair. So went to sure. went to Catholic school my entire life. Jesuit, all boys Catholic yeah. school, mass every week, all that. And yeah. there's a line I heard, and I think honestly I heard it from a George Carlin stand-up comedian comedy skit. But it, the line was, "Religion can be viewed for those who are maybe not inherently religious as the last desperate attempt of a dying man." And when you, when you, I was picturing you on a bridge, and you're like literally, you are a dying man. You are literally at that last thing. And religion is this. It's it was it like a hail mary for you at that point like I don't know what the fuck so I just I'm gonna try something God if you're there let let let's do this then I'm down I'm ready what, do you like with that saying was that kind of similar to where you were at at that moment in your life Yeah that's you know here's the way I'll answer that is that it actually was a realization that I was already a dead man and we all are we're dead in spirit when we're not connected with God. We're dead. We're separated from him. And my sin, my own personal sin, and the sin of the world has, separate, has created that separation. What happened was by Christ coming in my life and I accepting Christ, he's the life, the way, and the truth. And I said, I believe that. And I took him on. And so now I became alive in him. I became, so I, I look at it as, as like, no, I actually found life. I found true life and not just a life that, that has a, you know, 80-year possibly, if you're lucky, lifespan, but it has an eternal lifespan because our soul is eternal and now i'm finding life i have found life in that moment and that's what has like literally invigorated me to you know from that moment on to to really live not only for him but to live for his his beloved creation and human beings as the pinnacle of that creation is that your yeah no that's the way i would answer that no that's perfect and you're the your new relationship with God and religion, did that also lead you to Iron Tribe? Most people who are not in the know don't realize the deep religious roots that the founder and the HQ of Iron Tribe actually have. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes and no. So I, I would say that, you know, the way that got connected is there was a guy named David Platt who wrote a book called Radical. Um, 
And, and he, you know, Forrest had, uh, I think, posted something about that book or something like he was reading the book or something. And that's how we initially, you know, got connected. Um, but, yeah, Forrest is a believer uh, as well. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know the guys, um, the Iron Tribe up in Charlotte, they would even, I mean, there would be even prayer prior to class, like just a pre-group or post-workout prayer. Um, and it's uni- and yeah. obviously you coming from a CrossFit background, Iron Tribe makes yeah. sense to you. Right. Like you knew that you understood it. It was just a franchisable CrossFit esque model. And then obviously what was the limitation for you? Excuse me. That, um, that really, I mean, once you get into a franchise, if you get in deep enough, most people are like, all right, I'm going to grow this thing. I'm going to have 10 territories. I'm going to own the East coast. The mid Atlantic is going to, and what was the big thing? Was it the lack of being able to do with the business as you saw fit? Or was it, no, I need to get out of this for-profit model and I need to start a non-profit model. Yeah, I would say, man, it was, um, there was just a slight frustration. I'm going to be very truthful, transparent with you in this, is that there was a slight frustration that, that the, the model was um, uh, CrossFit without being CrossFit. It was a much better organized model, by the way. I mean, and, you know, I give credit to like most of my business um, and marketing and advertising and, um, all that other knowledge and, you know, guys like you weren't around and, and, and Jason and, um, you know, Ben Bergeron doing all the business stuff that they're doing now. And like these, these, these guys weren't doing what they're doing back when I joined, you know, in 2014, when I joined Iron Tribe, I got an Iron Tribe and Iron Tribe, you know, with Forrest and Jim, they, they were on a, a completely different level in the realm of business. Were then, they signed on with Jim Launch at that time? Because I know they they signed on with Alex Hermosi and Jim Launch, and the six week challenge was a signature. Yeah, but that was like play. way. Yeah, no, Alex Mord- Jim Launch wasn't even around when when yeah. that was happening in 2014. Yeah, they they they, probably, they were they didn't they didn't sign on when I was a franchisee, which I was in 2000. You know, I left in 2017. Uh, so yeah, I, I would I don't know when they signed on. I know that I know that it's been a, a good relationship. Um, but I don't know. I know it's been after that date, sure. but I, I would just say, I would tell you that it was just a, with me, it was just a, um, th- there was a struggle with the, the methodology and the philosophy in that, you know, of, of executing a CrossFit gym without it being CrossFit. There's a wrestle with me inside my heart with that. Um, and, and then secondly, I, I, it was a realization that, that I couldn't handle building these for profit gyms. And then also be really pouring in to, to develop this model that we're currently developing, which is like you said, like the reason I really took the jump is I looked around, I was researching everywhere. There's no one doing, I couldn't find a model to kind of copy, right? Reinvent the wheel, reinvent the wheel, uh, um, the wheel. There's, there's just not a, a need to do that. And so I've always looked out and go, okay, there's nothing new under the sun. Let's figure out who's doing this and how we can, you know, think through this thing. And it wasn't out then. I was struggling with that. And so finally I just said, you know what? I'm going to go all in here. And I started studying the YMCA, you know, uh, tra- long track record, um, very sustainable model, grown, you know, served 50,000 people a month currently, blah, 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 blah. Right. It's, it's, it's successful in a lot of ways in terms of what it's trying to do. Uh, and it's been around a long time. So I started un- unpacking that model. I looked at a, a museum here in Atlanta called the High Museum. They have a scaled membership model. I started understanding their business uh, model. And I really just kind of put piece together going, okay, that's what we can do. We can create a, a scaled membership model here. 
And because you and, offer, because uh, yeah. individual does like okay, and uh, our paths also cross. And later on, you know, I've done the. I'm a, a big fan of what OPEX has. A big fan of that business model. I went through the CCP. You yeah. you also went through that, and part of yeah. Noble Clay's service offering is individual design, which is probably yeah. the most expensive out of all the micro gym esque services you could have under. It's more. I mean, it's it's in the realm of personal yeah. training uh, to a degree. It is. So you've got, yeah, you know, so you have this, you know, you have a group CrossFit style clash, you have individual design, and yet we're still able to service people at an income level that is far below what probably could typically afford that. What, yeah. With your point. Well, let me, yeah, let me, ahead. let me just clarify something real quick. Is yeah. We are, we don't have any group classes. Okay. So everything is individual. We we're a hundred percent individualized. Matter of fact, we are, we are noble clay educated by OPEX is, is, is technically you know, our, our now our now awareness, we have a partnership with James and OPEX and they, they help develop all of our coaches and we stick strict to that model because it's hands down the most effective um, and what I would say eloquent model to really make long-term impact in people's lives. And when we're dealing with people that come from backgrounds of, you know, and lifestyles and, you know, family brokenness and all kinds of other, the plethora of different different, you know, societal issues uh, that minorities face and not to mention that but just i mean the tension i mean look, we just lived through last year you know the racial tension and and then you know this pandemic and it exacerbating you know the the health issues within the minority community they took a they took a bigger hit than than say you know two white guys like me and you um there's a lot of problems but the one-to-one -one coach relationship is beautiful it's beautiful in the re in the ability for the mentorship to happen, for the learning to occur, for the knowledge to be implanted in an individual, and then for them to be encouraged to the point where they can see that they are capable of obtaining fitness for themselves and, and reaching what James would like to effectively call, you know, a, a, a physical sovereignty. That's what we're doing. We're, we want to bring people in, spend three, two, three years with them, and then they have the tool set to live out their life and live it well and do what they want to do, at least in terms of physical expression. The second, right. And I, I don't go ahead. Yeah. There, there's just no other model out there that is as eloquent as that. And, you know, and I would argue that James and his team is, is the best in the world at, at, at educating that. I have no arguments with you on that side. I think OPEX does uh, one of the best education has one of the best education platforms out there. And the second one I was reading through and I was doing my homework on you and I saw the individual design and I saw your OPEC certs, I was like, this makes sense. If I were going to serve an underprivileged community, um, let's say a, a community that is uh, very low AGI, uh, probably uh, lots of domestic issues, mom or dad may not be around, I need something that mimics a big brother's, big sister's program and group fitness you know, it might be okay, but an individual design model where someone has that big brother, a.k.a. a coach, someone to show pride in them, yeah. someone to celebrate successes, someone to be accountable for, which so many of, especially yeah. the minority communities in, um, in impoverished areas around the country, lack. And I thought that was genius. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I'll give you a deeper reason, too, why we chose this. So, so you know, like um, – philosophically, I would say even theologically, why we, why we did this is because when you look across the nonprofit world, not always, but some, most of the time, you, they, the, the, the people that lack get, get the leftovers, right? If it's the leftover food or the leftover clothing that goes to goodwill, it's always the leftovers. 
it's rare that you find someone given like the very best, like the very best in all, in all facets. And so for us, in terms of a business, that, that, that means building, that means equipment, that means for us, you know, our, 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 the product is coaching. And so when I thought, when I thought about it, I was like, God, help me. I, you literally, it's, it's a gospel expression. It's like God, God, what's unique about Christianity than any other world religion is, and the true Christianity is not the fake stuff that, you know, that's out there, but the, the true Christianity is this, is that it's, it's not works based. I don't have to continue to work and strive and perform and to, in order to get in God's good graces. What he did is he said, you know, there is a disconnection here because of sin. I'm going to come down into the human flesh of Jesus. I'm going to live a perfect life and I'm going to die and atone for that sin by grace. And that's call caused by my grace. All you have to do is believe and accept it. And then that, that life is imparted to us. And it's a free gift to anybody that would receive it. And it's completely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so what happened is like, if you think about the creator of the universe, the one that knows every star in the sky, every hair on your head, you know, uh, my head, everybody else's head, that, that omnipotent, that powerful God that has literally spoken the word and, and, and created existence. You know, he was the word that became flesh, the logos in Greek. He literally gave us the riches of his inheritance by, by coming down. And for those who believe in those who choose him, they get access to the riches of what God of the universe has to, has offered. Didn't hold anything back. And so without, with that reality, what I've did, what we've decided to do with Noble Clay is like, can we give the very best in coaching? Not the, not, not the middle order, but the highest order, the very best. And then on top of that, like, I'm, I just had a conversation with Bert Stern and, you know, I'm trying to like, I think Sorenex or, you know, maybe, uh, probably one of the best equipment in, in terms of the United States, one of the best equipment providers, you know, so I'm trying to get a, you know, a relationship built with him to, Hey, let's get Sorenex equipment in every single noble clay. Um, you know, that's why our board is built up with guys like Josh Hinks, who's the strength and conditioning coach of the uh, Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings. We have physicians on our board. We have, you know, top CEOs on our board. Like we got to provide the very best for these people because they deserve it because they have nobility because they are made in God's image. And they're just as worthy as anybody else who's rich and can afford this, you know, in their sleep. So, I mean, that's the, that's the real reason so you, um, you behind mentioned- it. You mentioned the YMCA is a, a good model for you because there wasn't a, a specific microgym model for you to look at as an example. Right. So you look at the, right. the behemoth, which is the, the YMCA. Now, the YMCA yeah. is a nonprofit. You, you know, you wouldn't know it. You go and look at these facilities. They're gorgeous. I mean, there's I know people that are very high up at the YMCA compensated extremely well. How yeah. talk to everybody who's listening, who's, you know, again, <laughs> It's so it's really funny, and I, I don't mean this as a joke for everyone listening. There are a lot of for-profit micro gyms that don't make any money that are essentially non-official nonprofits. They're doing great work. They are helping people, and they are profitless. Your goal is to to pay for the mo- pay for the machine, and then everything beyond that be able to give back to the community so others can access the gift of health and wellness. How does right. the from a business standpoint? How are you able to pay this? I'm looking at, I'm on your website now and you've got a very, you know, impressive um, clout of instructors. You're able to have all these mm-hmm. people. How, so talk to me about from a business perspective, how much yeah. money, did, like how much do you guys of your, of your portfolio of revenue coming in is donor based versus dues based by the actual clients? Yeah. So that's a, it's a good question. So the way that we're organized is, is um, 
you know, we have uh, right now around 60% subsidized, a little over 60% is subsidized memberships. And the rest is, is undergirded with affluent members paying full market value. Right now, we, we call full, mar- uh, full market 297 a month. Arguably, I think it's more worth more, 350, 400. Um, but currently, we're at a 297 level. And we call that, that's full market value. Um, so a portion of that, obviously, you know, if you look at all the numbers out, it's about 20% of that can actually go into helping under, uh, you know, GERD, um, our model. Um, and then the rest is from monthly donors, um, our fundraising efforts, and then, you know, uh, some corporate dollars that come in through the nonprofit. And then we have a for-profit entity that runs the business dollars. Right, so all the affluent and all of that, it's owned 100% by the nonprofit. Um, and so, because with the way that that's structured, we are able to kind of have the mixed social mingling model that we want, which is about we we said, okay, we can get 50%, you know, subsidized, 50% affluent. That's a great goal, right? Uh, it's definitely not going to shake out like that, but that's the, that's the aim um, to be able to have uh, that model execute. In order to execute that model. Uh, legally within the IRS code, you can't have more than 15% like business dollars coming in. They call it earnings before uh, uh, unrelated business income tax is what it's called, UBIT. And so you have to, um, and I know I'm getting into some technical like law stuff here, but this is important I mean, to understand the way the model works. And so the, the for-profit uh, is owned 100% by our nonprofit. So essentially, you know, the, it's the same board and, and there's no, no one gets any uh, you know, dividends, all extra dollars that are, that are brought in from that year's you know, revenue uh, from either members and donors combined um, goes into helping us grow other models or grow more locations or eventually grow more, more locations so that we can eventually help more people that don't have access to it. So um, as it stands now, Noble Clay, how, lar- the, the, give me a, how large is this facility? Uh, it's 3,000 square foot. We're, we're technically indoors, 2,650. And then we have about a three 300 or so outdoor that we can play. Got it. And it's all individual yeah. design. This is, for people unfamiliar with that, you probably have hours in which people can come on in at their own leisure, yeah. you know, register you know, register for a time, come on yeah. in, and they follow their own program on True Coach. I'm assuming, is probably the app you guys use. Currently, we're going to switch to Coach RX, but just um, we're, we're taking on a lot of change right now. Yeah, like, yeah, that's James's version, that. correct? Right, James yeah, Virgin yeah. is Coach RX. Yeah, they yeah. got a little mess solid too. Yeah, um, cool. So you're moving to Coach RX. So you have them come in, and how many out of how many how many current people in total subsidized and affluent all are being serviced within this three thousand square foot facility? Uh, so right now we are. Let me pull up my my numbers. I know that we're just over forty four affluent members. We have a total of ninety five, ninety six now. Um, total members and growing. Got it. So like, stalled, the affluent yeah. is at 297, so the rest, right? Yeah. The 297 yeah. members. So yeah. doing about 13 grand a month for the affluent individuals. Mm-hmm. And then you have the rest of them being mm-hmm. subsidized in. And I was looking, you know, I kind of was going through your funnel and I'm able to go through there. And if I'm interested, say my, uh, my, my house income is at under 40 K 40 to mm-hmm. 70, 75 and above, whatever it may be currently mm-hmm. right now with your inflow, I'm very. I think everyone's listening is probably curious. How many people contact you guys that are just a normal, you know, someone who's making 
over $75,000 a year and can afford the membership and how many people are knocking on the door that are uh, in the su- that would be in the subsidized category. Um, and is it hard to get the word out to those less fortunate individuals? Great question. Uh, so the first question, um, I, you know, we've seen it to be about equal. And the reason being is because of location. We, we're on Ormond Street in Atlanta. It's a block from the old Olympic Stadium. And the neighborhood to the southeast of us is Peoplestown, and it's about $22,000 house, median household income by population of that neighborhood. The yeah. neighborhood to the north, uh, the northeast of us is Grant Park, and, and it's about 89000 uh, median household income. We literally sit on Ormond Street, which is the line that separates the two neighborhoods. Um, so it's been about equal. Um, the one it, we have had more, we've, we just finished in, in, uh, some online marketing through Facebook and paid ads. Uh, we cut the, we cut the, the faucet off because we just can't handle, we, we, it was actually pretty successful. We were handling a lot. Um, so we've cut it off, but the, but the majority of that was affluent. Um, but as far as getting out to the under-resourced community, we've had partnerships with organizations like Columbia Residential, which is a an organization that does affordable housing here. And we can, we can contact them and say, Hey, anytime we want to open up the spigot to bring on more under-resourced members, we can just send them a flyer or a door hanger and they'll go, they'll go around. They have a staff team that will go around and put, you know, door hangers on people's doors and, you know, that we'll, we'll get contact when I mean, it's like, you know, that'll overwhelm us. Uh, what, is that we do that? Like, what does the marketing for something like this sound like? Because, again, you have two avatars. You have one like, hey, because for the affluent people, you have to advertise and brand and talk about this like it's a fully functioning, high-end quality facility worth $300 a month. And then you also right. have to market this on another foot to say, hey, listen, if you don't make enough money for this, we believe fitness is something you should – and wellness and health is something you have a right to. We can potentially help you. What is that dual yeah. marketing – I got to imagine that's a bit of a monster for your marketing department. Yeah. You know, that's me and me and Natalie. And, uh, you know, uh, it is, it's, it's, it's tough to have those two avatars, but it's, but we got to have them, right. And you got to know where they are and you got to know how to speak because you are speaking to two different kind of, uh, individuals. Um, they have different, you know, different places in life, different focuses, different terminology and language that will reach them, et cetera. So, um, yeah, but what, the way you put it is exactly right. I mean, like we say, like, hey, if you if you're willing to put in the work for fitness, we have a we have we potentially have the ability to serve you. Um, you know, we don't charge. We, we we no one no one gets anything for free. You know, it's a dollar to two hundred ninety seven dollars. We do it based on income, and, and everybody's income that gets any subsidy has to be put on file. Um, and even that that's sometimes you know unemployment, especially recently. I mean, it's been a lot of unemployment stuff. You know, um, going on file. Uh, or disability. I mean, we got like one guy, Fred, who's a former Navy guy, you know, and he's a VA and, you know, he's on disability. All he gets is disability. And, you know, he's got, so we put that on file and he pays us 10 bucks a month and he gets in here and does his stuff. I got to imagine you guys have a ratio. I mean, you got to imagine, I'm just trying to think of this from the business perspective. Guys, we want to help the subsidized people. We need for every two affluent we can probably bring in three subsidized or four subsidized. What is, do you guys have a ratio like that when you think about it? Cause I picture these two funnels and there's times yeah. where maybe the affluent funnel needs to get tied off. Cause we're like, Oh God, yeah. we don't want 90% of rich people in here. That's not going to be good. And then the yeah. subsidized funnel, we can't have too much there if we don't have enough of the affluent to balance it out. What does that ratio yeah. look like? 
Yeah, you know, that's uh, it's interesting. We actually had a board meeting um, January, right when we were about to open. And the board, you know, they knew my part. And they were like, can you, are you the guy for this? I mean, can you, like, because we, we had to put everybody on a wait list that was, un, that was any kind of subsidy for, like, three months because we had to get income coming in. Um, and so, like, you think you just, like, you're know, going to be able to say no to people, um, especially if they don't have money. And so I had to make a commitment to the board to, um, to do that, you know, and that's, that's the thing to realize here is like, I, I don't own anything. I founded this thing, but I, I can be fired at any moment. And I actually, I tell the board that like, look, if I'm not doing the job and there's somebody else better than me, bring them in, you know, and, and fire me. Uh, they, they have control. Um, I, I do sit on the board currently, which we're trying to work to where, you know, if you look, you know, at a, at a strong nonprofit, they, most of the really strong ones are board led, meaning the board really does lead the organizational. Um, you know, strategy and so on. Are and all the board members the volunteer? They are. Okay, so yeah, everyone they're, that they're you have on here, this doctor and again, Josh and all these people, these are people that are literally on the board for the good of heart. So you getting, again, when people hear board, I think they think of like, you know, big C, you know, big publicly traded companies and people getting voted out and stuff like that. I mean, realistically, nobody would have anything to gain by you, right. by them kicking you out, you know, because they're not receiving compensation. This is something they're doing out of the goodness of their heart, that kind of scenario, or there's some kind of, I don't know if they have a tax write-off scenario tied to this or whatever it may be, but yeah. 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 I mean, the only, the only tax write-off they get is, you know, we do require our board members um, as a policy of the company to be responsible for bringing uh, three grand every year to the, to the table. They can do it through their own pocket or they can help raise it or whatever. But they, but that's the, you know, that's kind of our policy, um, and that's helped. That that's important to, you know, in a nonprofit model to have a board that is helping fundraise. I mean, that's a, that's a very important um, piece of this of the health of the model of the business. Um, I mean, let's face it. I mean, this, you know, nonprofit. They still, you know, you still got to pay bills. You still got to do all the all the stuff that, like you said, you got you know all these coaches that we got to get paid and payroll to cover and rent and so on. So. Um, so they, they are required to that, and that is tax deductible for them. Um, you know, for most of them, it doesn't even matter. It's just like, you know, it's, uh, sure. it's not that big of a deal, but it's, it's being led from the mission and they're really good. I mean, like Abby Johanna is an Indian guy. He's really good at keeping us going. Okay. You know, all this great success financially that we've had, like cause we grew 193% during the pandemic. I mean, it's been amazing. It's like, we, we kind of stalled out in August from August till now we're starting to pick back up now. It's really been good, but. But, you know, from pandemic to August, we grew quite a bit. We were really Why do you surprised. think you grew so much with at such a high price point? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it's just God, God's favor is maybe a simple way of putting it. But like the way that God works, right? he, he can work through all things. So I think through the, the value of the mission. Also, you know, we're, we're really uh, passionate about, uh, well, I, I use these terms very carefully, but like racial reconciliation. So. You know, June happens. There's all this racial tension between blacks and whites in this country, and it's like on cloud nine, and it's blowing up, right? Just like I mean, we're like like the 1960s, um, and and we're we're as a nation faced with this again. And then, and then here we are, you know, 50 percent, over 50 percent of our population is non-white, and we've like it's like you know we got this like little America up in this gym where there's like these different races, there's different you know religion beliefs and. Uh, everything in here uh we have we have you know i'm not say names but we have transgender folk in here we have you know, homosexual folk we have it's just everything 
so all of that kind of this this societal colliding that's occurring in the nation is like is like uniquely doing it in this gym. Uh, in, the, in almost the same way, it's just, it's really unique. It's really beautiful. I think it's very challenging, hard. You gotta, we gotta have hard discussions. We gotta, you know, we gotta be vulnerable. We gotta, you know, uh, but we got, but we do get to stick to our core values. Our core values is love and truth, internal core values. I, I usually don't share that publicly. Publicly, you know, our core values are nobility, aim, and reliance. But, but we always say as a team, as a staff, like we're gonna, we're gonna speak the truth in love. And that's the key. It's in love. You can speak the truth and you can do it out, out of love in a hateful kind of condescending or arrogant or whatever kind of way. Um, or you can do it in love. And so I'm just, you know, it's a beautiful thing that's occurring. I, I truly believe that that because we're, we're, we're in this, God got us in this kind of cultural situation. Uh, that and the, the, I think the idea of us being a nonprofit and being in this neighborhood to really provide for minority community is something that's, that's really been highlighted this year. It's like a need, like, okay, let's, it's a very attractive thing. Um, it's something we've been thinking about doing for like, you know, I've been pursuing this for four years, you know, but it, it just kind of, it's just a timing thing where 2020 blew up and all this is happening. We just happen to have a, you know, a model, a mission and everything that's specifically towards both the things, health crisis and racial tension. You know, in the minority community, in the health crisis that's facing the minority community, and our model uniquely addresses both, and we just happen to be positioned in that, you know, perfect timing and and so on. And so I think that's that's why we 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 were able to continue growing and, and being successful uh, to the point that we are right. I would say we're all you know successful all the way, but we're we're working towards trying to just do things well and serve people uh, well. So your athletic background is birthed in soccer, continued to CrossFit. You move on to Iron Tribe. You embrace OPEX, and you run with that model. At, when Noble Clay was started, was it ever a CrossFit affiliate? No, not when not when Noble Clay was started. Okay. Well, let's, uh, pretend it was, was let's pretend it was yeah. in June 2020 happens, what I like to call the PR shitstorm for CrossFit, all right? Oh, yeah. What yeah. would you have done? Would you have de-affiliated at that point? How do you view, because you obviously still have ties to this CrossFit community. You have lifelong friends and colleagues and, and, and you know, people like that that are that come from that world. Yeah. How, you know, as someone who yeah. luckily no. didn't have to explain to his members, yes, we are, no, we are not de-affiliating. How did you view that entire time? What would you have done if you would have been an affiliate? That's a great question, man. Here's what I would have done. I would have said, nope, we're not going to de-affiliate. Here's why. Because when things get hard like that, right, you, you can you can you can live in it and it can become your problem. Like for example, I'm gonna give you this example. I came down into Atlanta. My my wife and I lived moved into a predominantly black neighborhood, only white family on the on the block. Got a drug trap going right, going on literally right now across the street from my house. We moved into it to make it our problem because it's not really a problem until it's your problem. And so when this problem arises, that's in CrossFit, right? It, it, it it's obviously started from its founder. That's how this whole thing kind of the whole top-down structure, right? But it's but it's a problem, and for 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 me to de-affiliate would be me running from that problem and not making it my problem anymore, anymore and doing something else. Another great example I could give you is my pastor Dahadi, the black dude. He's in the SBC. The SBC, a lot of black pastors are leaving the SBC because Southern Baptist Convention. For those that don't know, basically it's just a body of, of churches that, that come together to serve 
you know, uh, uh, churches and just come together and be stronger together. But it was uh, its history was extremely racist. You know, it was it was when the Civil War was going on, the Baptists split the Northern Baptists and the Southern Baptists. The Southern Baptists were trying to um, uh, hold on to slavery. The, the sad part about the Bible and, the, and what people get wrong in the Bible out of context is slavery and the concept of slavery. God never condoned slavery at all in the Old Testament nor in the New Testament. The word slavery has been taken out of context that in most of the places that it's been taken out of context, it actually means servant, like a, 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 like a servant that is, a, that is as like family. Um, it's actually kind of, a, it's connotated as a really beautiful and a good, like loving uh, term. Um, kind of like the so, swastika is essentially a Tibetan good luck charm. Like the symbol? I, I don't, yeah, man, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the history of it too much, but, but to go back to make this point though to you is that the slavery, so, so, so that's what happened in the SBC, right? And this, and so now all this stuff's happening in 2020. So now there's a lot of churches leaving the SBC that are that are you know uh, black led uh, because of this history of racism in that in that model. But Dahadi Dahadi and our church, we've like, no, we're gonna we're gonna stay involved because it need we need to to make it a, our problem and need to come together and we need to work through these these uh these issues if we were to move leave the table then the, the issues can't be worked on right and and that's that's the that's where it comes down to it so like like i wouldn't have defiliated across that got it because i would have i would have needed to stay at the table to say look no there's a problem here we need to work through this it's right like, for me to run it's, it's kind of cowardly in a way it's not sure. I, I get it like people are vehemently pissed off and I, I get the emotion but but at the same time what good does that do yeah, I've got. I've, I feel very similar in the same fact. And also, as you know, when you noble clay doesn't mean anything to anybody until you make it so, right? The name noble noble clay. The day you open up and you put the name on the building and you run out and scream noble clay, you then have to follow it up with this is what we do. The benefit right. of CrossFit obviously is it has a brand name recognition. Whether you like what the brand name recognition is publicly or you like or don't like what the figureheads of the brand say on Twitter or whatever, that there's the pros and cons to that. And those that right. de-affiliated, in my opinion, a knee-jerk de-affiliation for many people and had not built up their own brand, they were then left like, yeah, we did it. Oh, fuck, what do we do now? Like, what what are right. we now? If I'm not CrossFit East-West, what, you know, what what am I? So uh, right. I have very similar uh, viewpoints on that. What? So you, you mentioned yeah. earlier, and, and I know uh, we had technical difficulties, and I don't want to run over time. I want to be conscious of your timeline here. But you mentioned the growth yeah. of Noble Clay and the expansion. You originally kind of this idea of I'm going to grow these Iron Tribes. Eh, not Iron Tribe, but this. What is yeah. that plan? I mean, are you guys do you does the nonprofit derive enough profit, enough revenue, enough donation to open up additional facilities, or is this something you guys are gonna have to go on a a, a fundraise route? You're gonna have to go on the road and fu and raise funds. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, I'm gonna say it's, it's a both and. You know, we have to use the resources that we have available uh, for this model. It's gonna be it's gonna be fundraising. It's gonna be um, you know, uh, partnering with corporate sponsors uh, that can do this. We've got a, a, a plan to really infiltrate the athletic, uh, the professional athletic um, networks of each city. Uh, we're going to be putting that together. There's partnerships with physicians and small practices, not big ones, not, you know, uh, but smaller um, physician practices in order to 
be a referral partner for like, you know, pre-bariatric patients and, you know, orthopedic surgeries and, and other things. Um, so there's a lot of like those uh, strategies that we're working on the, on the non, on the kind of the nonprofit uh, side. But because the nonprofit owns the for-profit, we are still able to say, you know, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to have, you know, 50% of this population be affluent memberships. And, and if, you know, you, what we've done it, um, the way we've measured our numbers is, is off of arm and leg. I, I initially learned it off of um, uh, two brain business uh, is where I initially heard this and, and kind of come with this concept. So I kind of switched the way I was doing numbers to this. Uh, and so our average rate per member uh, we aim at is $300. It doesn't matter if that member is a local member, which is our, our you know, our heavily under-resourced member, uh, or a discount member or a full member. It's, you know, it's, it, we want to we want to try to hit everyone across the board at 300 uh, average rate, and then have 175 people that we can serve. And if you do the math on that, it's 52, 500 a month. And if we can get there, that is a very profitable micro gym that within a couple of years is able to spawn off another location from the cash that it's able to generate. So will these all be corporately uh, owned stores then? Uh. Yeah, so like the yeah, corporately owned, meaning like yeah, they'd be owned by Radical Fitness Ministries or got it. Um, yeah, I mean they'd be owned by the nonprofit. They, we would it was a, think of it as a social franchise is maybe the best way I could uh, express it. We is what we're shooting for, trying to create a social franchise of like okay, well, you know, don't don't reinvent the wheel. If we have a really good model, let's let's gather all the resources we can from all kinds of sectors: the athletics, the business. You know, the corporate world, uh, individual donors, um, people that want to train and, and pursue fitness and everyone. And let's all come together around a model that can actually really do good and impact people's lives. And we can show that right through through good data to show the consistency, show the resiliency that we're, we're building in people's lives. And, you know, all of that stuff and be able to show it, um, then it's a model that we could maybe as a, as a society get around to say, you know, hey, we need to have these in our cities to, to, to address the health crisis of faith. That look like we're in, in, in that we that we don't want to compete with for-profit gyms, for example, right? Most of the areas that we can go into and really serve a for-profit gym probably won't survive. That's I mean that's the nature. I mean we're not, like, that's just the way of the nature of capitalism, right? It's it's what happens. Uh, it's why if you look at Atlanta, like you know, I think 15% of the gyms are in the southeast southwest quarter. 85 plus are on the up northeast part of all fitness entities, you know, yogas and all, you know, every, yeah. all across the gym. So you bit. guys are able to get cheaper rent and because you're in less desirable locations, yet you still have this very expensive monthly. It's expensive. It's probably still uh, lower than what the value you derive, you, you deliver is, but you still need enough of those affluent people to buy into your mission to travel to the sketchy part of town that they otherwise probably wouldn't take their Tesla to. Yeah, and currently, you know, and, and I'm still learning a ton here, but I'll, I'll tell you this is like, currently we're trying to find the areas that are being gentrified, that are in transition, you know, and these transitions typically take about uh, five to eight years to occur, meaning you go into a neighborhood and then the housing is usually what gets flipped first. You know, people start renovating, house values go up, then the commercial uh, dollars start coming into that area. and and then by that time, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's a few years off of being fully gentrified, meaning the people that don't have strong roots, or they don't have good support systems, they're getting pushed out of their housing. 
So here in Atlanta, it's getting pushed all the way out to the perimeter. As a matter of fact, a lot of the metropolitan areas, you know, a lot of wealth is coming back into the city and pushing a lot of the under-resourced out back out the suburbs now. It literally happening. I think most of the research I've seen in most of the big cities. Um, and that's just the, that's just what's happening with this part of the, the there's some negatives and some positive positives to it in gentrification. But what we're trying to do is trying to go, okay, what's the next area that that's happening and try to get on the front end of it and get a, get a location built out, get good coaches in there and get some life impact, some one-on-one relationships happen. Cause we know if we can, we can get three years with people, we have a good chance and that's consistent three years. We have a good chance of transforming not just their life, but potentially generational life, you know, family lifestyle. That's, that, a, that's, that really, what, that's really really what we're working with. Yeah, I think I, I just am picturing the, you know, 10 years from now, you having an amazing deck as you go to open the 15th Noble Clay. We're able to show the ripple effect of improving uh, 160 people's lives immediately and then what that ripple effect looks like for the community long term. So, right. Ben, yeah, it's, it's, it's very it's cool. Exciting. Yeah, it's very. And, and, the, and the truth is, like, I was just on the I was just on the phone with James Fitzgerald today. You know, we're he and I are good. Part, we're, we're he's a great partner. James has been amazing. I mean, not only is he just helping you know develop all of our coaches, but he's like helping me think through the model and like think through how do we really like big like the big hairy audacious goal. How do we get every one one of these in every state across the country? And like we're really thinking through this thing together. And he's offering his you know mind and you know, time and, and so on to help do that. And we were thinking, you know, uh, today, just talking about that very thing or like, you know, uh, uh, that we would be able, we know for, for certain that, you know, life impact is going to be pretty massive, but we can show it that, you know, that what we're trying to do is give people the learning. That's not, that's it. We're not trying to lower their A1C, not trying to lower their body fat percentage. We're not trying to focus on those things. We're trying to, to give them the learning skills to be able to, to be, you're physically sovereign to your sovereign the whole the rest of their life and then be able to teach their kids and kids and like you said that ripple effect that's what i really exciting and then we came to the end of this discussion and we said look we need we need millions of more coaches to do this there's so much work to do like in the medical professionals shouldn't get scared about that of like hey we're going to come in and we're going to try to get people off medicine they don't ever need to go into a hospital again but then you should never get worried about that because there's so much need that it literally will be, you know, their kids are going to be having kids. And it's like, and the world is flowing. You know how it is, man. I mean, Absolutely. it's like AI is going to pick up. It's going yeah. to get worse and worse. So, I mean, we got as coaches, I'm just speaking to your audience right now, people that are passionate about it, like, you know, get excited that, man, there's an abundance of opportunity as a coach to, to do really whatever you want to do. And if you're really passionate about changing people's lives, there is a ton of work to do um, regardless of where you're at. The, so, yeah. The business coach in me wants to play devil's advocate here. I'm a, like, I do a lot on the commercial real estate side too. When you, the yeah. problem when you move into a gentrified neighborhood and you get established is that a gentrified neighborhood, like you said, I generally look at, a, I generally look at these things at a 10 to 12 year window to where the current tenant, if they've made it that long, can probably no longer afford it. Do you guys have an arm of this that looks like commercial real estate so you can actually buy? Because it's landowners that actually transform areas, not because businesses yeah. transition in and out on this 10-year window typically when rent goes from $14 a square foot per year up to 32 Yeah, so now your business mind's really going. And yeah, our board, our board is, is, is we're, we're focused on that. Good, cool. We're focused. 
we're focused on on kind of like the next location. We're actually looking at a location right now that's potential. You know, it, it could, and we know in ten years, I mean, that land worth is going to be astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that arm of the business that we are looking at. Um, we didn't do it on the first location. We rent, and we realized the, you know, you know, it's kind of like the. Ah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what you don't know, though, right in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean you own right. Don't yeah, you, correct. I think I read a little bit about yeah, yeah. You own your spot. So, did you go in initially and own your spot? I I rented two previous locations, and then I found a gentrified area, um, and I was in one as well. And I knew what happens in gentrified areas, so I was like, well, I'm not making that mistake. So, uh, I moved a little bit further away, uh, you know, about two miles away, and I was able to score uh, the last probably sub barely sub million dollar building in downtown Charlotte. And, uh, it was, you know, but it's the same thing. It's if you rent, it's not a matter of if, but when you'll get priced out. Cause you're even if a commercial lease goes up by 3% every year, what are you going to yeah, do in 10 years? Are you going to sell 30% more fitness in 10 years? Probably not. Yeah. You know, you have, yeah. fi- you have yeah, fixed or, operational or, capacity. It's, it's just a tough game. It is a tough game or you increase your pricing by 30% over. Yeah. Well, I mean, as long as that, as long as the economy allows for that at the time, right. It's, you know, kind of depends on when you, where you land on that, uh, as far as, but, um, Ben, dude, listen, this is, go ahead. The land play is definitely, uh, the land play is always pretty secure. If you look at history. Oh yeah. No, I no, a hundred percent. Um, this is really great, man. I uh, I would love if I'm if I'm back in Atlanta anytime. I'd love to get together and jam with you on a longer form podcast because I'm really kind of just I'm very intrigued by the whole story. I love what you're doing. I dig the shit well, out man. of it. Um, congrats man, on all the success, it. man. I uh, I appreciate it. And I know we didn't get the jam on it, yeah. but I know you do have a big fundraiser that you do every year. Uh, and I would let you go ahead and let everyone know what that is and how they can get involved. Yeah, totally. So um, I can't let you know what the format is because we haven't publicly announced that yet, but I will say it's a growing event. Uh, it's going to be a fundraiser on August 21st. We're going to do it here in Atlanta at our location, but we're also going to do it virtually and you can do it, you know, anywhere in the world. We actually had uh, like OPEX Cura and you know, about 10 other gyms or 12 other gyms that, um, that participated last year. We did it uh, in, in November of 2020. So we're going to be doing August of, uh, August 21st, 2021, and it's going to be a, a, a both a, a physical event as well as a, a virtual event again. So just be on the lookout for that if you're interested. They, people can go to nobleclayfitness.com, uh, reach out to us, or ben at nobleclayfitness.com is my email. Shoot me an email. I'd love to get you in the loop for, for that event. And, um, yeah, just being a part of it helps us, one, raise awareness for the need for equitable fitness, but, two, it, it helps bring in dollars that help us uh, potentially do, do more of these models. So. Love it, man. Ben, thank yeah. you so much, brother. I appreciate it. No, I really appreciate you too, man. Take care of yourself. Absolutely.